Hey, it's Justin, and welcome to the ContenderCast Top 5 of 2023. We're down to number two, and I had so much fun meeting Nikki Dawes, CEO and founder of Nixie Sparkling Water, and also the founder of Late July Organic Snacks. You probably know uh, Late July Chips if you have been to any store recently. And I got Nixie and Late July are everywhere right now. And um, she and I had so much fun talking about the business and how it started, um, some of her background in it, how they just, you know, she's been a part of building two amazing brands. And um, you're going to love the story if you missed it. It was, uh, we recorded this episode back in late summer and uh, man, it's been just trending um, and, and a lot. I've gotten so much good feedback on this conversation. So check out the Late July Snacks and Nixie Sparkling Water episode with Nikki Dawes. And enjoy. Welcome to ContenderCast, a global leadership and consumer industries entrepreneurship podcast centered on shining a light on bright ideas. And now, here's your host, Justin Hahnemann. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for downloading. Thanks for subscribing and following. It's Justin Hahnemann, the ContenderCast. We're shining a light on bright ideas today. Like, I... I'm so excited. Like, I can't even wait for you to meet Nicole Dawes. Some of you probably know her as Nicole Bernard from her days at Cape Cod Potato Chips, but she's Nicole Dawes of Late July Chips and her newest product, Nixie Sparkling Water. I mean, where do we even start? I, I was like, we're going to only need about 20, 30 minutes. But as I was thinking about it, I'm like, this could go for hours. Don't worry, we won't. But hey, Nicole, it's so great to have you on the podcast. I'm so excited to be here. I've been really looking forward to this and I can't wait to dive in and Start talking <laughs> chips and water. Chips, <laughs> chips and water. Um, yeah. Man, what a, a, what cool brands. Um, I didn't know that your father um, launched or started Cape Cod Potato Chips. I know you were in marketing there, right? Is that right? That's how you kind of got your yeah. start in the snack space? You know, I, I mean, I get asked a lot, like, how did you end up here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're going to get there. But right? I mean, you started in the segment. I, well, honestly, my mom had a health food store in the 70s, and my dad started Cape Cod Potato Chips in 1980. And I think that, you know, I just sort of am the product of those two influences, you know, the health food and meat snacks. And um, I mean, honestly, I don't think there was, this is sort of the job I was destined to do, I guess. <laughs> I love it though. Um, what isn't that neat how things work out? Um, and yeah, for our roadmap for today, yeah, we're going to talk about your background. We'll talk about um, late July and how that got started and where you took that and where it is today. And then we're going to get to the sparkling water category with Nixie. And somehow we're going to cover all that in less than half an hour, um, which we will. It'll be great. Um, but let's do this. So you talked about starting and you, and you were in marketing at Cape Cod. Um, and by the way, my favorite, one of my favorite chips as we talked about before we hit record is the reduced fat Cape Cod. Uh, regular chips, like the sea salt that you get at Costco. And you said that was one of your products. Right. So back when I think because of like my mom's influence from natural food and, you know, I had always been very interested in like health and wellness and how you can like help, you know, incorporate snacks into your diet, but in a healthy way. So I was actually trying to launch an organic potato chip at Cape Cod. Oh, when I interesting. Was, so I had come back. So my dad actually sold it and bought it back. And when he bought it back, I... That's a whole nother podcast. I was going to say, I'm going to put that in the parking lot over here to come back to. But he, when he bought it back, I was working at another place and I actually came and joined him at Cape Cod Chips. And 
that, I mean, I was very interested in, you know, like I said, like healthy snacks and the environment and, you know, how can I bring all these things together? So I was trying to launch an organic potato chip at Cape Cod Potato Chips, but I was like a little bit ahead of my time on that. And I couldn't get like enough crop from like Maine to Florida. And it was just sort of a nightmare. So I sort of pivoted a little bit and I thought, well, how can I make you know, how can I still kind of do what I'm passionate about? And, you know, we bounced around the idea of a reduced fat potato chip. But obviously, you know, I think in snacks, and it's true for no matter what product you ever launch, taste is always the most important thing. Totally. So you can't make something totally. taste great. There's no point in even discussing it. So the idea was if we couldn't make a great tasting, you know, reduced fat potato chip, then why bother? Sure. Um, I, mean, I would say there was a lot of people that were still a little skeptical that this was even something people would want. Um, and, you know, at the same time, I don't know, this is going way back, but at the same time, like um, the bigger brands are playing around with a product called Alestra. I don't know if you remember oh, yeah. that. I do remember that. Yeah. And um, where did that ever go? A, <laughs> well, it was the warnings they had to put in the packaging turned out to be too much for people to stomach, as they say. <laughs> so no, they ended up, no pun intended. <laughs> right. But so that was going to be a completely fat-free product. And, you know, so we were feeling like, can we even compete with something like that? But regardless, I champion that and, and you know, it's still one of their best sellers today. And, and I think it's it's an excellent product. It's delicious. It's, you know, healthier. It's, um, you know, but it got me kind of kick-started my interest in really seeing how I can make, you know, kind of the intersection of health and snacks and, you know, what I could do and or I was very, very interested in, um, you know, trying to make organic products. Got it. No, that, that makes total sense. So, all right. So I got it on the Cape Cod side. And I have to tell you, it's like a permanent residence in our house. Like, uh, we, anyway. Um, okay. So fast forward a bit. You're in, you, you know, the industry, obviously. And so then how did you decide, you know, I'm going to go start another brand with late July. And this was back in 2002. How did that, how did that start? Well, we um, we actually sold Cape Cod chips again, which, <laughs> to be honest, was very devastating for me because you know, I, I mean, I don't want to like personify brands too much, but I mean that I really felt like Cape Cod was more of a sibling. I was an only child, so that was basically the only. Sibling it was I like had. your thing. <laughs> yeah, I could see yeah, that. And I was pretty sad when we sold it the second time, and but at the same time, I saw it as an opportunity for me to really like pursue my interest. And, and I really wanted to get into organic specifically. Um, so I started kind of researching, you know, where my opportunity was and like how I could launch an organic product and organic was still, I mean, they, the organic seal hadn't even come out yet at this point. Um, sure. 2002. Like yeah. And so um, I was actually pregnant with my son, who's now 20 and I was living in New York city and I was walking around desperately looking for organic crackers. And I thought I I literally had five different natural food stores within like a, you know, 10 block radius of where I lived and some bigger regular stores. And I couldn't find a single organic cracker anywhere. And that's when it occurred to me that, you know, organic just hadn't seeped into the middle of the store yet. You know, it was still very much a perimeter thing, you know, totally. dairy produce. Or a unique store thing, like that store focused on healthy products. Do you know what I mean? Like it was a retail segment. 
Yeah. And even like, you know, I mean, I was in like the most natural of all the natural food stores in New York and they still didn't have. And what, you know, always bothered me having grown up on my mom's health food store in the 70s. There was this preconceived notion that like all the products in the center of the store, you know, tasted awful. You know, right. just taste, <laughs> taste was, was not a priority. Right. And, you know, given my background and what my interests were, I really felt like I had kind of stumbled on, you know, the whole idea of snacks, you know, in, for me, crackers to begin with, just really needed somebody to both care about organic and taste. Sure. So we launched as the first certified organic cracker. And honestly, I think one of the first brands to exclusively launch with the USDA organic seal, because by the time we hit stores, it was 2003. And we launched like time and date with the seal hitting the market. Wow. So late July, always you know, like from the minute we launched, we were carrying the USDA certified organic seal. And I mean, it was very exciting. We grew really fast. And, um, but then we had, you know, about a million things going on. I was going to say, <laughs> okay. So did it, were you able to figure out flavors and packaging and pro create product and mix and kitchen, the kitchens and all like, was that all fast forwarded because you'd already worked for a chip company, a major chip company? Did you already have all those relationships or like, what did that look like early days? Well, because we launched with crackers, we didn't really have those relationships. Got so, it. you know, it was, it was actually, and also there were no certified organic ingredients to work with. I mean, you had like, you know, one this, one that. I mean, it was very complicated. And not that many people were really interested in helping us either because, you know, you know, we were obviously trying to do something that people perceived to be a pretty small category. Sure. And, you know, despite it being, you know, in the billions of dollars when you talk about the cracker market. Right. Um, but being like niche of organic and the complications of you know, what we were proposing because crackers rely a lot on processing aids that like organic crackers can't use. And um, so, I mean, it wasn't, I mean, I did all of the early R and D in my apartment in New York city, actually. Wow. Um, but, uh, you know, um, it wasn't, it was pretty complicated to take what I had done and like transfer it into like a larger factory. Wow. So full yeah, year. And was it yeah. just you or did you have help early days? I mean, over time, I know, of course, early, but... days, it, early days, it was just me. Wow. Oh, my um, God. All right. Well, when, then, but when did you know it was going to be something? You spent a year on it. Did you know like, oh, yeah, this is I mean, you couldn't have known this early. That category hadn't grown like stores weren't carrying it. Like, like did were, did you have early indicators that there was interest in like the crackers you were working on? I mean, I definitely had some early indication. I mean, I didn't, I mean, I, I took some of the test stuff I had done and I brought it to like um, a natural food store. Actually, the natural food store that my mom had in the 70s at that time was still being run by her sister who like took it over because they started it together. And then, um, so her sister was still running it. So I took my like prototypes there and talked to customers and people seemed pretty excited about it. But I mean, it wasn't a, you know, this wasn't anything definitive. And I mean, I think I just, you know, I think the hardest step when you're starting any new company is, is really that first step. You know what I mean? It's like, totally. so many things happen afterwards that are difficult, but it's just taking that like initial plunge, um, you know, where you really rip the bandaid off and it's like, you're moving forward, you know, like you believe totally. in this happening. And, and, you know, I just basically made the decision. Again, I was, 
fully pregnant, you know, like, <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, that definitely goes into the ignorance is bliss category of starting a company when you're like about to give birth. But, um, you know, we just like, we eventually like, I, and then I got, um, at some point, like I got, I can't remember exactly when, but my dad came out of, he was retired at the time. He came out of semi-retirement and helped me get some factories interested. Got it. Um, and then I think we like officially hit stores and like in stores in 2000, like fall of 2003. Got it. Okay. So started 2002, fall 2003, you hit some stores. And then how, how difficult was the sell in? Or, and at the time, you know, you think about retail now and everyone's like, you need a couple of product, you know, flavors and, and line. You need to have a line coming, like multiple. Like, what did that look like then when you were selling in to stores? You know, honestly, our initial selling was pretty easy because we were the only game in town. Like there were Got literally it. no other companies doing certified organic crackers. And this was, you know, the seal had just come out. People were very interested. Um, I think the bigger challenge that we had, and this is something I talked to a lot of like other entrepreneurs about, like there's kind of a couple of ways to like be successful as an entrepreneur. Like you can go into a category that's super high velocity and you don't, you know, as long as you can like be at the minimum amount of velocity you need to have, there's, you know, you're talking about $30 billion to, to take from, sure. or you can be, you know, a large part of a smaller category. And having been our background been in chips, you know, we were used to these high velocity, high term categories. Well, crackers, on the other hand, are not high velocity. I mean, you know, think about how many right. bags of chips versus how many boxes of crackers. True. No doubt. Um, and I think that, that was something that took me a little bit by surprise the first year with late July, even though, I mean, we had like mass acceptance. And, you know, I mean, almost right away, we were like nationwide and, you know, Whole Foods and, and a bunch of other accounts. Um, you know, the terms that you get, even for a successful cracker, are, you know, a fraction of what you get in the chip category. Sure. Wow. And that's so and interesting. so a lot of the projections I had done were based on, you know, different velocity numbers. Um, and then once I realized kind of you know, what the reality of crackers were, I had to kind of recalibrate a little bit and, you know, make some decisions. And then my quest for high velocity. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> what can I do that would be higher velocity that I know right. where I know the category um, Hmm, chips. <laughs> right. right. So, I mean, I think you can see how we ended up there. But, <laughs> right. Uh, it's good. I don't, you know, most people wouldn't know that story. That's why I love doing the, this podcast. Um, okay. So when did you decide we're going to get into chips? Well, it had been something that we had been taught. Now, at this now, by this point in our history, we had um, my husband has now joined the. He joined almost immediately. Um, he was trying to have an, his own independent life in the movie <laughs> right. business, where, <laughs> nice. where he was very successful. Um, but we decided that you know, late July had kind of taken over our lives, and um, you know, if we were going to have any chance of you know any family time at all, this was going to have to be an all hands on deck situation with our family. Sure. So he very graciously came and joined us at late July. So now here we're all together. And, you know, my husband had been talking, you know, really pushing us towards chips. I think because he was sort of this outside perspective on chips, you know, he, he knew the opportunity and my dad was just very resistant because he had just come out of that. Night he had just sold his business. Right. And, 
And, you know, the, w- with those high velocity categories, you, they're also very hard. You know, the, the failure rate is high and, you know, it's, it's, you know, you're dealing with a much more stressful situation. So he was very, very resistant to it. Now, a couple of things occurred. Um, unfortunately, my father passed away in 2009. So sorry. And yeah. yeah, and it was pretty sudden. He was very healthy and, you know, he just di- got diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer. Oh and it was just, and oh. I mean, I know I, I've probably told this story to other people before, but I mean, it's such a big part of our arc of our company that his death triggered a technical default on one of our big loans because we had a we had a death of a member clause in one of our loan agreements. And it was like the height of the recession and, you know, interest rates were like nothing. And so they basically used his death to put us in default. Oh, my gosh. Surprise. So a letter. Wow. I know. I got a letter like three weeks after he died from our bank saying i mean it was so it was so awful honestly i wish i kept the letter i was gonna say i anyway that that moment sort of forced us to make some hard choices about the company because you know we were doing we were doing great in our cracker life sure i mean everything was fine but we weren't in that like exciting kind of higher velocity like rapid crazy growth type of product right and you know i mean basically it was like our darkest hour at late july i mean we were had a you know this huge loan in default um you know my father had just died right <laughs> like, yeah and another thing that happened at that exact same moment was and it didn't involve us but it affected us there was a huge peanut butter recall and one of our big products at the time was a peanut butter product. And even though we weren't using the peanut butter involved in the recall, yep. we still got re- removed from shelves. So basically one of our biggest products was like, you know, off the shelf too at the time, even though we weren't even involved in the recall, it was still affecting us. Got it. So we had wow. all these negative things kind of all occurring at once. And, you know, my husband and I just decided that, you know, this was our moment to really kind of decide who we were as a brand. And if we were going to come out of this time period, we had to come out stronger and more well-defined and kind of more focused on who we were. So we made some really tough decisions. And when you say really tough decisions, like what does that mean? Well, what do you hear? (laughs) (laughs) So basically we knew that our like, you know, North Star was health, right? Like we always believed that. And that's, like what drove me in the first place and health and the environment and organic. And at the time we were making some products that we just didn't feel they were delicious and they were organic, but we just didn't feel like they kind of represented who we were from a health standpoint. And, but they represented like $2 million in sales. And at the time we were only 8 million. So it was Got a pretty it. significant. Sure. Was our 20%. We decided to discontinue our cookies and launch tortilla chips. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to get rid of a big part of our business and launch a new brand with no no volume at all, at least, right? <laughs> no volume, no customers, right. and honestly, not even not even the right type of distribution. Like basically, <laughs> we're going to just kind of reinvent ourselves into like the mold that we originally had for the brand. Got it. And I mean, it was. 
but I mean, it was definitely a very stressful period, but we came out of that stronger financially because the cookies, in addition to not like kind of representing who we were also were, you know, one of our worst products in terms of margin. Got it. So from a bottom line standpoint, it also made us stronger. Sure. And the chips are far much more aligned with kind of who we were and who we wanted to be. So when we like got out of this whole nightmare of a year, we were sort of a perfect representation of who we wanted to be at late July. Interesting. Um, we were financially stronger. We were brand from this brand standpoint stronger. And honestly, we never looked back. I mean, it was it was such a pivotal moment and kind of every part of that of our brand story. You know, we I mean, we were growing each year before that. But after that year, it, it was, you know, you hear this all the time, but we truly were an overnight success, you know, sure. seven years. Of faith, but that was it. I mean, we just took off like a rocket ship after that. Amazing. Um, what was the first flavor? And so I'm guessing what's the first flavor? And I'm guessing you were able to a bit fast forward into the chip space because of the past experience, right? Well, yeah, that's where we definitely had. I mean, that was, yeah. I mean, I grew up, you know, basically <laughs> right. inside the potato chip factory. Mm-hmm. So, right. you know, I finally had some, you know, I could finally use the knowledge. Totally. I, mean, I joke, like, I could have like a pallet jack for like a pallet of <laughs> yeah. potato chips before I could like ride a bike. But, um, but definitely playing to my strengths at that point. And I knew. You know, it's like the whole time in the back of my head, I could hear my father like, you know, this is, you know, this, this is really risky like this. And, but again, and like, I know why he didn't want to do it, but at the same time, it's what he did. Right. You know I, mean? I mean, Cape Cod. <laughs> it, I mean, and what an incredible thing to watch, by the way, the, the, that brand take over the shelves and grocery. Um, okay. So you, you launch and what was the first flavor? I was trying to, I don't, I don't know. I didn't it was our multi-grain tortillas. So okay. they were like, you know, we had chia and quinoa and, you know, the whole grain corn. And um, I mean, I, I think they're still perfect. Oh, yeah. Chip. Oh, I, we, okay. So then you, you go to retail with that and did you find an instant pickup because of the angle you were, you know, positioning the chips as? You know what I mean? Like, what was the reason the buyer was like, yeah, we'll take that on too? No, it was really hard. Honestly, it was a little bit deflating because we were changing categories. And that's a different buyer, chips. right? The, the chip buyer different than the cracker well, buyer? Some places, some, places, some places it was the same and some places it was different. And but regardless, we were getting a lot of pushback and, you know, that's a really competitive category. And, you know, you don't really have, a, you know, you don't, your brand hasn't really played there before. And, you know, it's a steep, um, and so, no, I mean, it was definitely hard. I mean, it was not an easy, it wasn't like we just flipped a switch and all of a sudden we were successful. I mean, it was like a whole year of trying to like convince people and prove ourselves. And, wow. Uh, a year. So it was definitely. And I mean, honestly, for those, for those listening, but I mean, think about it. We got a lot of entrepreneurs that listen, like you said overnight success, but kind of not. I mean, like it, it is, but like a year is, that could be. Like it's kind of overnight, right? But it's a year. Oh my god! You know what I mean? It takes time. Well, and honestly, sometimes I think like entrepreneur years are a little bit like dog years. Like everyone you have like ages you like an extra. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I can see that. So when did you know? Okay, now we definitely made a good decision. Well, how far into that dis- the move to chips did you know? Hey, we got some traction. We're getting sale. We're getting to sell through. You know what I mean? 
I mean, okay, so it took us a really long time to convince like our first big retailer to give us like a major display for the chips because, um, you know, we just, we didn't have the history and, you know, it's a big deal for them to give you a display. Well, the first one we got, our velocity numbers were like through the roof. (laughs) Amazing. Once I saw that, um, you know, I just... I knew it's a good indicator. Yeah. Yeah, That's amazing. You know, we just, because you know, if you can do that, you can replicate it. Right. Exactly. Okay. Um, And for those that are wondering like, okay, remember this was started in 2002. So um, we're leaving out all kinds of detail because of just the the time we have here. But I, I have to say like Nicole, my favorite flavor you might have guessed, but it's the jalapeno lime. And I'll just tell you, Costco, if you're listening, you need to get that back in stock. Like, I like the cheddar cheese. That's good. But the jalapeno is like amazing. So that product is probably one of my, I mean, there are a handful of products like I've developed throughout my life that I will forever be, you know, just think are perfect. And that is one of them. I think that product is just perfect. I, I told you before um, we hit record, I didn't really know about your chip brand until my daughter who works with Peloton was with us at Costco. And she's like, you guys need to try these chips. And I'm like, you know, sure. And we usually, you know, just got the Cape Cod. And I mean, the we ate the whole bag, the big, you know, Costco bag in the car on the way home. <laughs> so great. So Not just me, I mean, several people I in the car, it. by the way. <laughs> okay, so... Hey, I, I <laughs> Love it. Um, okay, here's a question though. So um, I'm going to ask you this in a minute again on the um, when we talk about sparkling water. But what were some of the biggest lessons learned? Maybe two or three from the late July experience, and, and maybe you're, and you can still you know you've got some that are still ongoing. But like you'd share with some of the other entrepreneurs that are listening to us. Like what would be two or three of like the biggest takeaways um, you'd share with them? Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's a couple of things and I think it's particularly relevant for like the time period we're in right now. Cause you know, the economic uncertainty and there's so much going on. I mean, you know, the most important thing that you can do as like a CEO founder is to, to, you know, truly understand your costs and to try to get and to be as efficient as possible, as quickly as possible. I mean, you know, I think that there are a lot of decisions that we made early on at late July that we kind of had to do. But, you know, as we grew and understood our business better, just being able to, you know, improve our cost of goods, you know, hands down was one of the best things that we ever did. You know, you can't focus on, you know, marketing and, um, you know, growing your top line at the expense of, you know, truly understanding and controlling your costs. Sure. I mean, as, as much as you want, you can't do that. I think that's great advice. Um, but I, you know, one of the bigger things I think I've learned is you just, you know, and I, there's that like Bob Dylan quote, that song where it's like, I was so much older than I'm younger than that now. I think that is so true for like a second time entrepreneur because, you know, early days at late July, I mean, every little thing that would go wrong would just be, you know, it would just, just, you know, it's just a true catastrophe. Right. And if there's anything I've learned in, you know, over 20 years of being an entrepreneur is that that is the only thing that's certain, you know, you're going to wake up every day and something's going to go wrong. Sure. Like a hundred percent of the time. Right. <laughs> and, you know, learning to just manage through the chaos and, you know, and not 
think it's the end of the world when these things go wrong. Um, you know, I, I, I look back and just kind of, you know, we launched Nixie during the pandemic, you know, we hit stores and I mean, there's been a new thing going wrong in the world and <laughs> our country right. and, you know, right. every day you turn on the news. And I think it's been really helpful that I have the perspective of, um, you know, having been an entrepreneur for all these years and having dealt with crisis after crisis after crisis after crisis, it's not that you can't be phased anymore, but it definitely, you know, you you learn to manage through them in a much more measured way than I think I did early on in my career. Uh, I think that's that's great. And, you, you know, you develop that perspective over time, you know, um, and super great advice. Um LateJuly.com, you can check out all the different brands in the story. So, so where is the company now? Talk about, you know, the where this has gone for you and then um, the transition over into Nixie. So we sold Late July to Campbell's in 2018. And, you know, it's so interesting. Like, you know, obviously a lot of times when you sell a company, you have to sign a non-compete. And, but it's one of those things, like, I would never even want to compete with it because I just think it's such a great brand. I'm so proud of it. Like, I want it to... You know, it's doing great. I wanted to keep doing great. And, you know, I, I, you know, I think when we were trying to figure out what our next move was going to be and where we were headed next, you know, it, it wasn't even something that I would even contemplate, you know, even if I could have, because I just think it's such a, you know, I'm just so proud of it. Like, sure. I, like you said, that jalapeno lime and the original multigrain are two products that I think are near perfect. Unbelievable. Um, yeah. <laughs> Um, and so when we were kind of figure out, you know, what we wanted to do next, um, goes back to that kind of velocity and, you know, question and, and <laughs> right. you know, our whole time during chips, you know, we were very often displayed with beverages. Um, and, you know, I, I saw the same thing, like, you know, back when I was like pregnant and going, looking for snacks, you know, it's so strange, but even though it was 2018, when you walked into the beverage aisle, then there was almost no certified organic. It was the whole aisle was filled with sugar, right? And yeah, filled with single-use plastic. It was kind of shocking to me, and that's where I saw the opportunity for us to come in and take the same things we cared about at late July, but bring them to a beverage brand. And, you know, that's our mission. It's really about, you know, healthier beverages. It's about the environment. It's about reducing plastic and reducing sugar and also reducing, you know, the toxic kind of forever chemicals that, you know, we're all so concerned about now and should be. Sure. Um, so that was what led us to start Nixie. Wow. Now, you had not worked in this category. And so, you know, it wasn't similar to growing up in a chip plant. I mean, some things around supply chain ingredients and making a product and all that. But how did you figure out beverage? And did you always know it was going to be sparkling water? Or what did you think about several different types of beverage options? What did that look like early days? Well, I think, you know, for us, it was an, it was a sparkling water because, I mean, similarly to what we did at late July was we wanted to create what we think is like the healthiest option in the in the beverage section. And sparkling water really is like the healthiest thing that you can offer, um, you know, outside of like filtered tap water. Um, and what's nice about sparkling water in kind of what I was trying to achieve is that, you know, hydration and staying hydrated is truly one of the easiest things you can do for your health. And it's shocking how many people don't drink enough hydrating liquid during the day. I mean, it sure. feels easy, but 
clearly not. Right. <laughs> because, and so I, you know, I think it's the same as with any healthy products. It's the, the responsibility of the, the brands to create things that are so desirable and so delicious that, you know, people are willing to take that step for their health. And, you know, so part of what we were doing when we were looking at how can we do that? How can we create products that are going to, where they care about all the things we do, like, you know, the reducing sugar, reducing plastic and, um, you know, the environment organic, but also making them delicious enough. So, you know, we came up with the idea, obviously, to be certified organic. That seems like kind of a no brainer for me and what I care about, but also to, to, you know, make our products have like a little bit more flavor and also a little bit more carbonation than some of the other brands that we were tasting, because, you know, I think that generally makes it a more satisfying experience when you do have it. Um, and not everybody likes higher carbonation, but the benefit of it is that when you first open it, you're going to have this really carbonated experience, but it also stays longer too. Sure. So, yeah, no, it's great and great packaging. Um, I'm drinking the strawberry hibiscus right now. Um, okay, so how long from, hey, we should do something in beverage, and I think it's sparkling water, to you know, getting cans and flavor mix and labeling and you know, a finished product that you're starting to sample? Um, it was basically a full year also. So we took, um, yeah, I mean, I think, it, I mean, if we had done a snack, it would have been pretty Faster. fast. Yeah. Right. But we had so, you know, we had to find a manufacturing partner. We, I mean, there was so much we needed to learn. Um, and so it did take us a full year, which unfortunately put us in stores like right before the pandemic kind of shut the world <laughs> right. down. Shut down. <laughs> nice. Um, but luckily, our team, a lot of our team came from late July. Sure. Um, and so we were all used to working to, with each other and, um, you know, so even though we were forced to do a lot of this kind of startup remotely, you know, we weren't strangers. And so that that helped, um, despite the fact that we were basically launching. And you know, did during- you obviously, you know, different, definitely a different buyer for this category versus what you had worked with in the past. What was the sell in like um, for sparkling water? And at the time, I'm thinking now that was five years ago or so. Like, were, were there was there the proliferation of kind of this category or not yet? I mean, yeah, there was definitely. I mean, there was you know the major players were still there, and um, you know it was. I mean, it, it's never easy, right? Like whenever you're trying to be like new in a category, it's never easy. And and we did luckily have some of the same buyers, which did help. That's good. Um, okay. Particularly during, yeah, during the pandemic, that was very helpful because they did already know us. And, um, you know, the retail strategy for sparkling water is not radically different from chips. So, you know, when we would meet with a retailer, you know, we could very confidently talk through a launch plan, um, knowing how much it's going to cost and, you know, being prepared for what it's going to cost, honestly, more importantly than knowing it. Um, And, you know, so I don't think, I mean, a lot of that was similar and you know we were able to take what we learned from late July and translate it to to the uh, to sparkling water. Yeah. And then how did you decide on pack size? And is that standard in sparkling water? Because like you know, as you know, fridge packs in carbonated soft drinks are twelve pack cans. Yours are you know, a, a, a different size in terms of packaging. How did you guys decide that? That was 
actually one of our bigger questions when we started because we noticed that a lot of the big companies were transitioning from 12 to 8. And, um, you know, it's, I mean, and so, like, when, you know, as we noticed that, you know, and for us, being an eight pack is a much more desirable sure. amount. Yeah. I mean, in addition, you know, because one of the bigger issues when you're trying, when you're new, is keeping your product stocked on shelf. Sure. And in date, what's your date code on like how, what's the, um, what shelf life of your product? 18 months. Eight, oh, God. 18 months. You don't have any problem. Yeah. <laughs> no problems there. Uh, no, it's great. But, no. but so, like, you know, if you're trying to keep it stocked on shelf, it's better to have three in a case than two in a case. Because Got that's, it. you know, I see what you're so saying, because the, then when like when one's gone, it's, there's not, not much left. So it gives you a little more room for more product on the shelf. Got it. Right. It's just a little bit better for, for as a smaller brand. And, you know, there's there's just other benefits. And so we really wanted to be an eight pack, but we were right on the cusp where like a lot of bigger brands were going from 12 to eight. And so when we launched our like prototypes were actually in 12 and eight. Oh, interesting. Okay. <laughs> We weren't really sure, um, but we really wanted eight. And we had a couple retailers that really were pushing for 12. But honestly, there was enough that were okay with eight that we just made the decision um, because it was better in, in so many ways for us to sure. do an eight pack. Yeah, I think uh, it's I'm about. So glad we did. I know. Yeah, I think it's some of the retailers push back just on the, the shelf, like the size of shelf, you know what I mean, in terms of the merchandising of it. But. Um, we won't get into all that. So, okay. And then when did you know this was going somewhere that, you know, like, okay, we're, we've got orders, we've got sell through, like, you know, what were the indicators that this was moving? Well, again, it was very similar. You know, we, we had to fight for those first few displays and, you know, it, and honestly it was hard because this was a pandemic too. Right. People weren't so, in the store. You know, <laughs> people weren't in the store. And so, and we also made the decision to not like pivot to D to C and just stay focused on our retail strategy during the pandemic. Interesting. Okay. Um, and, you know, so it, it was hard because displays aren't that important when no one's in a store. Right. <laughs> well, and also on the flip side, D2C is expensive with an eight pack can. I mean, product. oh, it's very expensive and there's a lot of damage and, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's not a great way to, to deliver cans, honestly. No. I mean, we, we are going to do it. And we're for sale on Amazon, but it, we didn't want it to be part of our launch strategy. You know, sure. we really wanted to get a retail first. Um, so it, it was definitely like, you know, there was a few accounts where, you know, we were getting this very positive kind of early feedback. And to, to be completely candid, I mean, I had the lowest of expectations because, I mean, we, we couldn't do anything. We couldn't merchandise it. We couldn't, you know you were just really at the mercy of people kind of happening upon you. Sure. Um, and so once we, you know, we were slowly building and we were trying to do, you know, we were doing like Instacart advertising and things like that to try to get our brand out, you know, partnering with different retailers on social media, um, just letting people know that we existed. Um, and, it was, I mean, it was about six months into our first year where all of a sudden, you know, we were noticing that some of the products were really taking off. 
was it certain flavors is that or, yeah, or pack sizes okay really, certain flavors are really taking off and you know that's when it kind of occurred to us that you know we were getting in you know some of these accounts that we're really partnering with you know people were finding out about us and you know our, our efforts were were you know at least a modicum of success of letting people knew we were out there um and then as we've slowly started to come out of the pandemic, you know, we've been able to return to stores and do, you know, our kind of our normal, you know, blueprint for launching. Sure. sure. Wow. That is, um, you know, we're having to kind of relearn everything all over again because, you know, our whole first, you know, two years really were under like the cloud of the pandemic. Right. Um, Crazy. So this last year has just been incredibly exciting because, you know, we're finally seeing, you know, what a display can do and what merchandising can do and what our own people can do in store. Sure. Um, and it's been, and what are what are some of the keys to growth as you look to the next six to twelve months? Is it new pack sizes, new flavor, getting into, um, you know, the the bulk stores or whatnot? What what, is, what does that look like? So, I mean, we, we, we've definitely been, you know, we've had some exciting rotations at Costco, which is obviously amazing. Right. Um, I mean, one of the things that was kind of a gift of the pandemic, I guess you could say, was it made us very confident in what our best sellers were. So, right. you know, now, clarity is a good thing, right? And now we've spent, you know, kind of, we spend the majority of our time, you know, just making sure that our accounts have our best sellers on shelf. I mean, it seems so elementary, right. but I mean, that is so much of this business is just making sure that when a customer walks in to buy your product, that it's present sure. <laughs> and they're able to purchase it. Right. And that you know, what you don't want to have happen is that, you know, one of our early retailers, they maybe took in one of our, you know, maybe our number six product and our number one and two have sold out and now the whole shelf is filled with that number six number product. six because they're trying to get rid of that inventory right. right so that's i mean we're working on just some of the nuts and bolts of that um and i mean it's amazing what that can do these simple changes what that can do to your numbers sure i can um, imagine um what well, and and you think about this experience with nixie and then late july Maybe two or three things that didn't work, you know, things you tried that were like either wrong, that flavor didn't work or that package didn't work or that working with that retailer did not work or distributor. I'm sure there's many things. I mean, you've been at this for 20 plus years, but what would be a couple you could share with our audience? I mean, one of the things that I think is a lesson that I've learned like very early on is when you're like the emerging brand and unless you have infinite money an infinite ability to advertise your breakthrough product. You know, sometimes you, it doesn't pay to reinvent the wheel. Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> Interesting. Early on at late July, we were trying to package something in a way that just wasn't right for that particular product. Sure. You know, we, because of manufacturing challenges, it just was better for us, but it wasn't the way customers were expecting to see it. And, you know, in addition to being a nightmare from a retail standpoint, because we made, you know, we got these products accepted and now it was taking away sales from like better sellers. Um, you know, we also had to, 
go back and fix the problem. Sure. And worse, like not only was it, you know, we spent all this money developing it, um, but, you know, it, it just it just was never a product that was going to work because we were just trying to fit a square peg in a round hole that never wanted to be. And, you know, I, I think about that all the time because, you know, you want to be innovative and you want to be non-duplicative, obviously, but sometimes it doesn't pay to really push the envelope in a way that customers just aren't ready for, unless right. you have the money totally. to you know, really do the education around it. And we certainly didn't at late July. Got it. Um, that's one thing. That's <laughs> <There> good advice. <laughs> Yeah, and I think that's um, it's tempting, right, to put more money into something that either the consumer is is confused about or may not have been trained on, or maybe they, you know, in a new category they don't even know what it is. You know what I mean? That's a challenge sometimes. Yeah, it definitely is. And then the other thing I think has been such a, I mean, it's not like a what isn't working as much as just a like as I look back on kind of what made us successful and what were our like obstacles. I mean, as simple as it sounds, I mean, really understanding your mission and like what guides you as a brand and making sure the things you're doing are really fit into that, you know, that, that, you know, you, you just, because that's like where the passion comes from. And that's sure. like, that is what consumers see and feel. And I think at, at late July, like why that year was so pivotal for us was because, you know, before that, we were sort of a patchwork quilt of like what could be in navies and things like that. And when we came, when we sort of streamlined everything into like kind of really our focus of who we were as a brand and everything fit into that, um, you know, that I think that's when it just clicked with consumers. Sure. And, uh, you know, you really do need to be able to describe who you are as a brand very, very quickly. And not just describe it quickly, but also like believe it and be excited about it. And that has to be where you're like, what drives your, you know, the passion for what you're doing. Totally. I, I totally agree. What a great point to end on. Um, because we could go for a couple hours. Um, I mean, you just got some incredible stories and incredible experience and so excited for, you know, what you've accomplished, but also what you've got going now and who knows what's next. I, I, I we got to have you back on, um, to, talk about some of these other tangential stories and uh it's just been so great to have you on before we go though where can our audience find you buy product check out your new products etc yes well i mean as an emerging brand we would certainly appreciate any and all you know purchases that you make of us believe me every time someone buys one of our products i'm so grateful for each and every purchase so <laughs> that's great uh, you can, we have a store locator on our website, so you can go to that and type in your zip code and find it. But I mean, honestly, we're in a lot of, you know, major accounts in most major cities. I mean, you know, in the Northeast, you have Stop and Shop, in the Southeast, um, Publix and California, Safeway, Vons, Ralph's, and then of course, Whole Foods and sure. Sprouts, one of my favorite customers. Um, and then we have, you know, the core and backbone of our business, the independent natural food stores. I mean, we definitely wouldn't be who we are without them. They definitely go out and support your independent natural food store in your <laughs> totally. town. Um, Co-ops. Um, and then uh, Amazon. I love it. Yeah. And so I do have one more question. I know our audience will appreciate. I, I under, like Cape Cod potato chips. There's always this map on the back. I wanted to come visit probably the place you worked. I could, you know, it's made in Cape Cod. So Cape Cod potato chips. Where did the name come from for late July and Nixie? Well, late July is 
I mean, I think it's the sweet spot of summer. You're knee deep in it. You know, you've just started to relax. You know, you haven't started to get those like back to school anxiety yet. <laughs> I will say, full disclosure, my birthday is July 30th. So that could be <laughs> Late July. Got it. <laughs> Go that way, but I do feel like it is that perfect moment in time, sort of late July, and everything is right in the world. I did grow up on Cape Cod, so even more. Right, I can Um, imagine. Beautiful. And then Nixie. Nixie is a combination of my nickname, which is Nikki, um, and I, you know, love my nickname. I mean, my all my close family and friends call me Nikki. Um, and then a Nixie, which is sort of another name for a mermaid, but a more mischievous sort of sprite <laughs> um, And I mean, I grew up in the ocean and water, and um, obviously we make beverages based on water. So it felt like a great name that had a lot of personal meaning, but also I thought, you know, was something that was unique enough that, um, you know, we could kind of own that that name love it very very cool um nikki dawes uh i will no longer call you nicole (laughs) so great to have you here um we hit the website latejuly.com and then also drink nixie n-i-x-i-e.com check it out you'll see her picture on the front of that (laughs) website it's pretty awesome nikki so great to have you with us we can't wait to have you back on like I, I will come up with a whole other set of questions. So thanks for making the time. Oh, this is great. Thank you so much for having me. What a highlight of my day. The Contender Cast is powered by Contender Brands and is the top global consumer industries entrepreneurship podcast. You can find additional Contender Cast episodes on worldwide podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, iHeartMedia, YouTube and other preferred podcast platforms. If you would like to be a guest on the ContenderCast, connect with us at ContenderCast.com. This is Brian Benson reminding you that every winner started as a contender. <laughs>